Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Church once again. Um, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles or your Bible apps to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, we're going to look at that in just a minute. But before we do, uh, Mark said something during his announcements that should really concern you, if, uh, if you know me at all. He said that today we're starting a series on relationships and marriage. Um, and for those of you that know me at all, know that I am not married. So it should probably concern you that I'm talking to you um, about marriage this morning. But um, I kind of thought the same thing. I remember we were at a meeting uh, at our Living Church office, and uh, Mark was, you know, he had asked me to speak on this date, but he hadn't told me about what yet. And we were going through kind of the calendar, and he, he, what I thought made a joke about me starting the marriage series. And I was like, oh, that's great. You know, have the, the not married guy talk about marriage. And he's like, no, seriously. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but I think I figured out why. Um, it's because the one thing that I'm talking about this morning is one thing of probably not very many that I actually have more experience than Mark. Um, Mark was never single for 26 years. Uh, he, got, he got married when he was 21, and I'm 26 and not. So um, well, that actually is what we're going to be talking about this morning. This message is kind of geared specifically to the, the singles um, in this church. But pl- please, if you're married, I know we have a lot of married people, families here as well. Don't tune out. There's some good stuff in here for you as well. And if nothing else, just stuff that you can pass off to your kids and grandkids someday. Um, I'm excited to be able to share this with you as well, because I think all too often we uh, single people, we hear messages and, you know, it's a married person up here that's like, be content in your singleness, you know, be content in Jesus. He's all you need. And we're like, I know like in my head that's true, but you're going home with a wife and I'm not. And it makes it kind of hard to, uh, to really digest that. Now, also, those of you who know me may be like, dude, stop saying you're single. Your girlfriend's right over there. Um, we need to, to have kind of a clear definition of what we're talking about when I say single. I know I'm, I know I'm dating someone. Um, I know I'm very lucky to have her. But um, when we look at the text this morning, what, um, what Scripture says about singleness and marriage, they're, they're kind of two black and white camps. There's no, um, I guess, special directives made for, you know, when you start dating or when you're talking or when, you know, you start getting serious or really even when you're engaged. Basically, in the Bible, it talks about those who are married and those who are not married. And uh, so what we're going to be talking about this morning, I think we can need to kind of have that, that definition set for us. Now, I know in today's culture, you know, we have romantic relationships that happen before marriage. But in the Bible's eyes, even during those relationships, you are still single until there's a ring on it. Um, so... Um, Basically, I want to talk about three things today, and, and this is kind of three things that I think every single person in Jesus needs to know. And for, is it right brain or left brain, the, the really organized people, that like, like structure that's left? Okay, so I'm, I'm more of a left brain person. For those of you that are more left brain, um, here's the three things. I'm going to tell you right off the bat the three things that we're going to be talking about. Uh, I think every single person in Jesus needs to know these things. They need to have missional clarity. Um, they need sexual purity. And they need relational intentionality. And now, if you have young kids in the room, don't worry. We're going to keep that second part very PG. Um, and uh, we're just going to look at that. But so as we jump in this morning, if you guys would join me in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And then for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down to verses 25 through 35. And this is going to be kind of our home passage this morning. But we are going to jump around and look at some, some different areas of Scripture as well. But 1 Corinthians 7, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now, regarding the question you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. Now, skipping down to verse 25, it says, Now, regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I don't have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. 
and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this to your brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or who has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So first we're going to look at this idea of missional clarity. Um, And Paul addresses each of these topics that we're going to talk about in the passage this morning. Um, Some of them are a little bit more subtle than others. Uh, But before we really jump into missional clarity, we need to understand who Paul's writing to here. He's writing to the Corinthian church, um, and they lived in a very... Uh, sex-crazed, perverse culture. I mean, this perversion was making its way into the church so much that um, essentially some Christian leaders were telling people that that all sex in any context was wrong. Even if you're married, that's just a bad thing. It's not good. Um, And I think Paul's kind of coming in here and he's he's trying to get the Corinthian church back on track and he's saying, you know, no, it's not all bad, but it does need to be um, done in the right way. Relationships, marriage, sexuality, all needs to be done in this right way. Under, uh, under the rule of Scripture and the rule of God. And he's coming in here. And I think, um, I think the church in our culture over the past you know, 20, 30 years has been very similar to the Corinthian church here. I mean, obviously, if you look at, at secular culture, it's very sexualized. You know, every commercial you see on TV, sex sells. And this is kind of the thing that, that's used in our culture and set up as a good thing in any context. And I think especially maybe, maybe not so much now, but 10, 15, 30 years ago, the church kind of made somewhat similar reaction to the Corinthian church here and that we got made it such a taboo conversation that it was so dirty and inappropriate um, that we just didn't talk about it at all. And so a lot of people grew up not having a healthy understanding of how this should all play out. And I think um, the church now, and what I hope that, that I do this morning and that we do through the rest of the series, is that we can kind of bring back a healthy understanding of how um, relationships and marriage and all of this uh, should function. So when we look back at this passage in 1 Corinthians 7, we see that Paul puts a pretty big emphasis on the single way of life. I mean, multiple times in this passage, Paul says it's actually preferred to be single. Um, now, the way that I picture Paul talking to the Corinthians here, and I think you can kind of see this, by the way, that he bounces back and forth on the, the issue of singleness and marriage. I see it kind of not as much as like, this is the truth, this is the only way to do it, but more of a, a personal plea from his personal experience. Paul was a single man. Um, and I think he, it would be kind of like if I stood up here and said to you guys, guys, it would be great if we were all full-time missionaries. You know, we could wake up in the morning, we could spend our entire days focused on Scripture and focused on how to reach people, and that would be our only focus, that would be our sole focus. But the Corinthians didn't live in that ideal world, and we don't either. And I think, I kind of see Paul saying this, is like, hey, I know this isn't the case for everyone, I wish it was that easy, but it's not. In the world we live in, that's just not how it is. And um, basically, so, so Paul 
expresses the sentiment that, yes, singleness could be preferred for some. And it, he's actually not the only one to do this. In Matthew 19, the disciples are asking Jesus about marriage. And they get in this conversation about divorce. And Jesus gives this kind of discourse on, on the marriage commitment and what it looks like. And I think the disciples were kind of wanting him to say more at the end. And they ask him this question. They're like, so, Jesus, isn't it better like, just to stay single? And I kind of picture, I don't, this may not be true at all, but I kind of picture them like wanting him to be like, no, no, you should all go seek wives. But Jesus basically just like, yeah, maybe it is better. You know, I think you guys, you guys got it. So um, we could call it a day right here and just say, you know, all you married people, you screwed up. Um, all of us single people were right. Um, and, and we'd leave, you know, the married people would leave feeling guilty. The single people would leave like, but I still want to get married. And, uh, but I, I just don't think that the Bible lets us stop right there and make it that easy. Because if you look at other passages, for example, Proverbs 18.22, it says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 31.10-12 says, A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. We see Jesus teaching on marriage throughout his life, and even Paul, who wrote this passage in 1 Corinthians, um, and in this passage alone, sometimes advocates marriage. Also in 1 Timothy 5.14, he says, So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, and to manage their homes, um, and not give the enemy opportunity for slander. But I think maybe the most uh, convincing argument for marriage in the Bible is if we look at the story of Adam. Adam's living in a you know, newly created, perfect world in the garden, um, he's literally walking in the presence of God. He's communing with God. This is pre-fall, pre-sin, yet God still looks at Adam and said, says it's not good for man to be alone. And so I think we definitely, you know, we, we can't jump to this one extreme over here of saying that, that singleness is the only way based on this one passage in 1 Corinthians because there's all these other passages over here that are like, marriage is good, marriage is the way. So how do we, how do we deal with this? Like, what I'm seeing here is that the Bible says marriage is good and singleness is good. And I think the reason that we have such trouble digesting this is because the way that we've looked at this in culture is that they're opposites. You know, there's the married people and the single people. And the married people have lost touch with the single people, and the single people don't understand what married people go through. And there's this, like, you know, there are two, two complete opposite extremes. Now, this morning, I had to come here twice. I got up early, brought some supplies over um, for coffee and the computer and stuff, but I didn't really... I, was, I just didn't want to get up really early. So I decided, I lived just a couple minutes over in Covington, and I decided um, I'm going to get up, throw on some sweatpants, take the supplies over, then come back home and get ready so I could sleep a little longer. The first time I came here this morning, I was trying to get here fast, so I jumped on 75 North, cut through Fort Washington Way, came across that bridge right there, got here in a couple minutes, and it was great. I went back home, got cleaned up, and then came here again an hour or so later, and I had some time to spare, so I decided... I like driving through cities, you know, over the interstate, so I decided to drive through Covington across the bridge through Newport. I don't think any of you would say that I took opposite ways. Distinctly different ways, yes, but not opposite ways. I left from the same place, headed in the same general direction, and ended up in the same place. Now, each, uh, each path had its own advantages and its own disadvantages. You know, the path through downtown, I prefer it because I like driving those streets, but it took longer. There were more stoplights. On the interstate, yes, it's quicker, but, you know, if you get in a wreck on the interstate, it's probably going to be a lot worse than if you get in a wreck driving through downtown streets. And I think this is how we kind of need to start looking at marriage. We, we, we look at it as this complete opposite path of singleness, but really it's just two different paths. Distinctly different, yes, but different paths to the same destination. Um, David Platt says it this way, and I love this quote. 
because uh, if, if you don't hear it in context, it kind of looks like he's talking like Tarzan. He's like, singleness, good. Marriage, good. But uh, this is during a message, and he said, singleness is good, marriage is good, and to exalt one above the other would be unbiblical. See, I think when we look at the full text of Scripture, we have to come to the conclusion that both singleness and marriage are good states to be. And I don't want to stand up here and try to convince all of you that if you're single that you should stay that way. I just don't think that's necessarily the case. But I do think that if you're single right now and you're pursuing Jesus, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. That's exactly where you're sent. And, um, you know, I hear, I've heard people before replace the term single with pre-married. And I kind of hate that because it gives this, this connotation that you're just waiting for something better. You're waiting for the next thing. You know, people say, you know, well, I, yeah, I'm single right now, but I'm, I'm just waiting for marriage. And, and I don't think that's what we're called to do in Scripture. I mean, this may be jumping to a little bit of an extreme, but Matthew 6.34 says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think, you know, I look at myself a year ago. I was totally single in today's terminology. Now I'm dating, but I have no idea if, if I'm going to die on the way home today, if Jesus is going to come back. If all I'm doing in my life is just waiting to be married to do the next thing, then I'm wasting a bunch of time. See, uh, the dictionary even defines singleness as, quote, consisting of a separate, unique whole. I think it's important for single people to realize that, that we are, first of all, we're 100% whole. We're not a half a person waiting for another half a person. We are a whole person. And we, not only that, but we are unique. We have a unique opportunity to minister that a married person doesn't. And, and yes, it's the same on the other side. Married people have unique opportunities to minister that we as single people don't. But they're both good, and they are both, um, we're both called by God to do what we're doing in our context. We, we can't take something that's a want and make it a need. Um, Paul Tripp says this. I love this quote. He says, a desire, even a, or a desire for even a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. Because if you put a desire that's, that's not Jesus at that level of a need, then you have to take something out of that level, and that's full and complete satisfaction in Jesus. Uh, in our culture, you know, it pushes so hard for love and romance. There, you, you hear about like romantic comedies, you don't hear about single comedies. I mean, they, you know, they kind of exist, but there's no. There, our culture doesn't really lift up the idea of singleness. It doesn't lift up the idea of, of being quote unquote alone. Uh, it, it always lifts up the idea of romance and marriage. So I think a lot of us kind of feel that that's a need. And it's interesting, we skipped over this verse earlier, but even in this passage in in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul acknowledges this. He says in verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift. One has this gift and another that. I think what Paul's basically saying here is, you know, from his personal experience, yes, he sees advantages to being single and the, the laser focus that he's able to have for Jesus by being a single man, but he realizes and he recognizes that that's not everyone's calling and that some are called to something else. So if you're single in here today, let me ask you this. Are you elevating the idea of a relationship on this earth over a relationship with Jesus? And if so, I would challenge you to find your satisfaction in Jesus before you ever consider entering into a romantic relationship. Ask any married person in this room, and they'll tell you that a romantic relationship is not going to fulfill your need um, for intimacy and love and relationship. It's, it was never designed to do that, and it's never going to do that. And something else to keep in mind, uh, we, we as the church, the big C global church, often draw our, our mission back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them. Um, 
if you look at the context of that verse, Jesus said that to 11 single guys. Um, he did not say that to a group of married people. He didn't even say that in the context of one of his large teachings where they were married and single. He said that to a group of 11 single men who had given up everything to follow him by themselves. And I, don't, I just don't think that we can allow ourselves to jump I forget what shadow I was on. I think it's this extreme over here of saying that I need someone in my life. I need marriage to really do what God has called me to do because I just don't think that the Bible says that. So um, some of you who sit in this room may be single for the rest of your lives. Um, others may be married by this time next year. But regardless, I think we all need to be clear on our mission. That's this first point, missional clarity. And I think it especially comes down to verse 35, that last verse that we read in the First Corinthians passage, where Paul says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So your relationship or your lack of relationship should not be a prequel to your mission, but it should be a help to the mission that you've already been called to. Um, so I want to I make sure that we're clear on how we're going through everything. So that's missional clarity. Um, next, we're going to talk about sexual purity. And like I said, don't worry, this is going to stay very PG. Um, we're not going to get into a lot of details today. And if we look back at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says something um, really interesting. He says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations or um, basically to remain single. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Paul makes an interesting point here about how important sexual purity is, whether you're single or you're married. Throughout the New Testament, we see a lot of writing where, you know, we, we get these general phrases of, of abstain from sexual immorality or upholding sexual purity. Um, Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And then this one's really interesting. 1 Corinthians 6.18, so just a, a chapter before this, Paul says, Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Uh, it's interesting to me. I think we've, we've come very comfortable with these phrases of all sin is sin and all sins equal in God's eyes. And while it's true that, yes, the littlest white lie to mass murder is equally condemning in the eyes of God, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the sin and its consequences are equal in the eyes of God. Um, I, I think this verse is very clear that, that sexual sin is held in a different regard than something else. And I'll say this. Um, you're going to, at some point, you know, if, if you are a single person in this room, and you end up dating and getting married, at some point you're going to get serious enough in that relationship that you're going to have to look the person who you want to spend the rest of your life with in the eyes and tell them about your sexual past. And those are never fun conversations. Uh, I, I would imagine that if you, know, if you look at that person in the eyes and tell them, you know, when I, was, when I was seven, I stole a pack of gum from Walmart, or when I was a senior in high school, I cheated on my science test, they're going to be like, huh, you know, you're an idiot, and move on. And it's not going to be a big deal. But when you have to look at them and tell them about your past in this way, that's, that's something that sticks with you forever. The memories, the mental images, the emotions that go along with this type of sin stick a lot more than, something, than, than a lot of other things. I don't say this to scare you or to, to make you feel guilty if you, if you have things in your past, but I do say it to caution you as you move forward that, that don't look at this sin like the same thing as, as, you know, not that I'm encouraging white lies, but don't look at it in that same context. It it is something different, and I think the Bible is very clear on that. Now, I don't want to turn this this part of this message into the typical kind of youth group. Get an accountability partner, set your three boundaries, and then we'll move on from there, because I don't think that's really what the Bible teaches about this. Now, don't get me wrong. I think those are good things. I think it's good to 
to be very clear about what you will and won't do and where you're drawing the lines and to be able to look at sin and call it sin. Uh, I think it's very good to know those things. But I think that, that it's more important that you're looking towards something rather than away from something. Um, first of all, I think we need to look towards Jesus. The Bible says that, that one, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. The Bible promises that no matter what addiction you have, no matter what temptation you have, no matter what struggle you have, that if you ever find yourself tempted by that, there is a way of escape. It's not, um, it's not there might be or you're going to have to work really hard for it. It says plain and simple that God always provides a way of escape for any temptation that we face. And then third, I would encourage you that the Bible also says that pride comes before a fall. And that the second that you think, you know, I've been clean from this addiction for two years or, you know, I'm in a new relationship and we're not going to mess up in the ways I have in the past. The second that you think you've beat it, that's the second that you're in the most danger of falling to that sin again. Um, now, some of you may be still be thinking, okay, I get that. That's all like big picture, overarching stuff. But like, what does this look like for me? What should my boundaries be? What are, what are your boundaries? I'm happy to talk with you about that one-on-one. But again, I don't think that's really the point of what scripture teaches about this issue. I think the answer, like I said, lies and looking towards something and not away from it. Um, Yes, setting boundaries is a good thing. Um, Knowing all of these things are good, and and having accountability in that is good, but it's not the ultimate thing. I think it's far less about drawing a line in the sand and saying, you know, well, I won't go past here, or I won't look at that, or I won't do that, and then inevitably you end up like right here, seeing, you know, how close you can get to that line that you made without going across it. And I think it's more about looking to what can truly satisfy the desire that makes you want to get close to that line. And I think that's only found in Jesus. Uh, I'd say both from personal experience and from a lot of guys that I've talked to on these general topics, that whatever your struggle is, having physical standards alone is not going to keep you from falling there. You know, whether your struggle is pornography, whether it's, it's what you do with a significant other when you're alone, you know, you can say, I'm not going to charge my computer in my room, or I'm not going to charge my phone by my bed, or I'm not going to go alone anywhere with this person, but you'll always find ways around it. You will always find ways around it if there's not something else. Um, these physical boundaries, yes, they're good things to set, and they can be helpful, but unless you start chasing something greater than the satisfaction that you find in those things, you're never going to leave those things. It's just not going to happen. And Um, I think ultimately that, I mean, it it sounds cliche, but it looks like truly calling out to God, spending time with him in his word, praying to him, asking him to fulfill those desires. And you're not these, you know, abstract prayers of, you know, God, just be with me today. It's to say, God, you know, I struggle in this area because I, I have a need for intimacy. I have a need for love. I have a need for relationship. And I don't have that in marriage right now. That, you know, it's talking, again, side note, from what I hear, these struggles don't leave when you're a married person, but I do think single people deal with this in a very unique way, um, that married people don't necessarily deal with it. And I think it's calling out to God and saying, I don't have a way um, on this earth physically to fulfill these desires, but I know that you should be able to fill this, fulfill this for me. And, and it's hard because I can't provide you with like this three-step, here's how to fix this problem. And I think that's because the Bible never intended there to be a three-step fix this problem. It's intended that you look to Jesus for satisfaction, because again, like I said earlier, a relationship's not going to fulfill that either. It was never designed to, it was never created to, and we're going to talk now um, about relational intentionality and what a relationship was designed to do and how we should look at romantic relationships. So, so far, we've just to review real quick, we've talked about missional clarity, that every 
Um, every single believer needs to understand that you're called to the same mission as a married believer and that your state as a single person does not dictate your ability to do what God's called you to do. God calls you, um, whether you're single or married, two specific things, and you do those with your whole heart. We've also talked about sexual purity. We just finished talking about that. And now we're going to talk about relational intentionality. So basically my point here is, you know, and I think this especially happens when we have married people talking to single people. And it's like, you know, I get all of this in my head. Yes, that makes sense. But I still want to be married. Like that's still a desire that I believe God's placed in my heart. And, and I think that's okay. I think we were created to desire a relationship. We were created in the image of God. And God desires relationship. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. And, and also our culture, we have to, to realize that, yes, um, marriage is the quote-unquote normal way in our culture. Most people get married. And we've learned today so far that, that marriage is not a better way, but we also have to accept that it's the normal way. And so when all of our friends are getting married, I mean, I, rem- I counted it up a couple months ago. I think I've been involved in some way, whether it's usher, groomsman, whatever, in 13 weddings in the past, like, four years. It's, it's not always an easy thing to do. I mean, I'm thrilled for all of my friends who are married, but it's not always an easy thing. You know, at one point I was living with Jason and Wells, and I had to move out because they both got married. And then I was like, well... <laughs> It's just me now. And I, 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 I'm thankful and I'm blessed that I've never gone through like a serious depression about this. I've never, you know, been at a point where I just felt worthless. But it, it's not easy all the time when you see all of your friends getting married and, and having something that you crave more than anything else. And you're not. And I don't think that it's, it's unhealthy to want that. And I think, again, if we look back at 1 Corinthians 7, there um, depending on what your, your, your context is, Paul says it's actually good for a lot of people to be married. And, and all throughout Scripture, we see that it's good for a lot of people to be married. So I'm going to guess a lot of the single people in this room would find yourself in this camp, that, that yes, maybe you know, you're starting to have an understanding that, that singleness is a good place to be and that you can do great things and unique things as a single person, but ultimately, deep down, you still have that desire for marriage. And uh, I just want to take a, a, the last little bit here and look um, and what I think that, that process to getting there should be like, what, what it looks like to date in the Christian um, 21st century, I guess. So, first of all, uh, and I don't necessarily have a chapter and verse that says this exact thing, but I think that dating should only happen for the purpose of marriage. Uh, I read an article when I was studying for this talk, and he said that to date without marriage in mind is all but guaranteeing you'll fall into sexual sin. And why is that? Because you're trying to get close to someone that you have no intention of committing to. If you don't see marriage as at least a possible end to that relationship, then you're just trying to get closer to someone and invest in someone and, and be, uh, I guess, in the bigger context, intimate with someone that you have no intention of ever committing your life to. And I think that, that the Bible is clear that we're supposed to flee temptation and that we're supposed to flee immorality. And so if you never have an intention of marrying someone, you shouldn't date them. You're, all you're doing is setting yourself up for temptation. Uh, again, I, I think there's a lot more reasons than just that, but I think that's the clearest way that we can tie Scripture directly to that reason, is that if you jump into a relationship that you have no intention of ending in marriage, then um, don't do it. <laughs> and then secondly, um, I think, and again from personal experience, if you ever get into a, a serious relationship that has to end, at least one person in that relationship is going to come out hurt. So why risk the hurt? Why hurt one of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Why risk the hurt for yourself if you know that that relationship's not going to last? Now, I'm not saying that you have to know from day one that you're definitely going to marry that person if you start dating them. But if you don't even see it as an option, if you're not wanting to get married, if you're not in a place to get married, then don't even try to date. It just doesn't make sense. Um, 
Secondly, I think that, so if we take that basis, that, that marriage, or that dating should only be in the pursuit of marriage, then I think we can kind of logically go from there and look at, okay, what should I look for in a spouse? And I think the Bible does have at least one very, very clear, um, there, there's several things that you read through Proverbs that talk about some details, but one very, very clear um, thing that the Bible says is that, that Christians should marry Christians, ultimately. It says, in 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14, Paul says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And the picture here the, of being yoked together, uh, in, in this time, you know, a lot of people were farmers, and they had oxen that they would plow their fields with. And so what they would do to make sure that the plow was able to be pulled through the dirt is they would take two or more oxen and what's called yoke them together. It was basically this big wooden thing that they would put around both oxen to make them walk together um, you know, toward the same direction, toward the same goal of plowing the field. And I think the, the picture that Scripture is having here is that, that if you yoke yourself, if you put yourself together with the non-believer, you have, um, you have different things that you're basing your entire life off of, and you're not going to be able to easily walk together. You're going to be constantly pulling against this yoke. I know just from last week what, what Ed said is that at a point in his life, he was married to someone who wasn't a believer, and he said that, that every step toward God seemed like a step away from her. And that's what, that's what this unequally yoked um, can do to a marriage. So I think taking that, so we've got dating is only for marriage, you should only marry a believer, you should probably only date a believer. And I think that's, that's kind of a good starting point to look at here. Uh, and then something else that the Bible teaches us about marriage is that it's a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. That's the ultimate design for marriage. Ephesians 5, Paul writes this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing through water of the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. I say all this to say that if you're wanting to pursue a relationship, know what you're getting yourself into. It's serious business. Uh, I would encourage you, that if, especially if you're single in this room and you find yourself in the camp of people that say, yes, I'm single. Okay, I'm understanding that's a good place for me to be right now, but someday I'd like to be married. Study up on it. Look into it. Read about it. Read what the Bible has to say. Read what people that, you, you know, that have had successful marriages say. Talk to people who you look up to who have you know, long-lasting successful marriages. I think most people, especially in the Christian context, will tell you that your spouse is the second most important decision you'll ever make, aside only from your salvation. And so why would you, you know, you come across all these decisions in your job or in school and you spend time studying, you spend time working on it. Why would you not do the same thing for the second most important decision you'll ever make? Why would you not learn what that looks like before you get into it? I think that's something very important that we kind of overlook today. So we need to be intentional in in these relationships. Uh, I want to read you kind of an extended quote as I wrap up today from a book called Just Do Something. It's by Kevin DeYoung. Kevin's a pastor in Michigan. I would say that this book has probably influenced my life more than any other book aside from the Bible. The, the point of kind of the whole book is basically saying, um, actually, I'll just read you this part from the front. He says, just do something, a liberating approach to finding God's well, will, or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, um, writing in the sky, etc. 
And the, kind of the point of the book is saying that, you know, we, we've grown up in this, what's God's will for my life? You know, I'm just trying to figure out God's will. I'm just waiting to see what God's will is. And his point in this book is that, that sometimes God's will is for us to just do something in faith and that we shouldn't always be waiting around to make decisions and waiting around for this writing in the sky of what God's called us to do. It's, it's more so, hey, is this a good thing? Do you feel God telling you not to do it? Okay, then do it. Uh, and, and he writes, even another side note for you guys, interesting thing that he talks about in this, in this book, he says, you know, he definitely believes that God does sometimes speak, um, you know, almost audibly to us. He does use the spirit to convict, of, convict us of a specific thing to do or not to do. But really in scripture, the only way that God ever promises to speak to us post the, you know, concluding of the Bible is through the Bible. He promises that the spirit will be with us, but he doesn't, the Bible never says, you know, when you're looking for a new job, the spirit will just show you what the job is. When you're looking for a spouse, the spirit's just going to, you know, lift this person up in front of your eyes and then, you know, everything is going to be perfect from that point on. The Bible says, use the word and make decisions. So I want to read you this, this point. He has a, a section in here specifically about marriage. And this is kind of a long quote. I didn't put it on the screen because it would have been a lot of slides. But just, uh, just stick with me here. And especially for the single guys in the room, we're about to get torn apart. Uh, so just be ready for it. It says, he says this, Too many young guys are waiting for writing in the sky before they make a relational commitment. It doesn't have to be that complicated. My grandpa DeYoung met my grandma on his paper route. They worked together at a bowling alley and started hanging out at the soda fountain. Eventually, when my grandma, grandpa proposed, and they got married in 1948. When I asked him if he agonized over the decision to get married, he paused for a moment and said, uh, No, was I supposed to? Gentlemen, there are wonderful Christian girls waiting for you to act like a man. Stop waiting for romantic lightning to strike. Stop waiting for the umpteenth green light. Stop hanging out every night without ever making your intentions clear. Go ask a girl on a date or ask her to court or whatever you think is the appropriate language, but do something. If you want to be single, that's great. Jesus was single. I hear it can be a pretty good gig. But if you want to get married, do something about it. Take a chance. Risk rejection. Be the relational and spiritual leader God has called you to be. Let me say this one more time. There's nothing wrong with being single. It can be a gift from the Lord and a gift to the church. Again, unique opportunities as a single person. But when there's an overabundance of Christian singles who want to be married, this is a problem. And it's a problem that I put squarely at the feet of young men whose immaturity, passivity, and indecision are pushing their hormones to the limits of self-control, delaying the growing up process, and forcing countless numbers of young women to spend lots of time and money pursuing a career, which is not necessarily wrong, but uh, they'd rather be getting married and having children. Men, if you want to be married, I love this, find a godly gal, treat her right, talk to her parents, pop the question, tie the knot, and start making babies. <laughs> That's it. And um, I do want to talk to the guys in the room for just a second, you know, speaking from a single guy's perspective. Um, if you want to learn how to date a girl, it's probably best to talk to your grandpa, or if, if you're not blessed to have a grandpa still with us, talk to somebody else's grandpa. Because I think 50 years ago, men were a lot more men than they are now. Um, I, I don't want to step on any toes here, and this is totally my opinion, so if you, you don't like it, don't dislike Living Church or the Bible, just dislike me. But if you're spending your time dating by sitting in your room on a, on a phone, swiping left and right, that's not dating. That's not being a man. I'm not saying that God can't work through those situations. I'm not saying that God can't use something. But if, if you're in basing your entire um, pursuit of marriage on an app that just shows you a picture of a girl and has you decide whether or not you want to you know, send her more information about yourself, I don't believe that's a godly pursuit. Um, side note, I think there are websites out there that, that actually pair people up based on you know, things that they, that they care about and they're 
um, personalities, but I'm not, I'm ranting, sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> the point being, I think, you know, date a girl in a godly way, and I think, you know, I'm not getting into an argument about feminism and everything, but I think chivalry isn't dead. Um, guys, if you're going out on dates, open the door for the girl. Pay for her meal and be clear about your intentions. I, I love what he says about stop just hanging out. That's something we, you know, are talking. Be clear about your intentions and go for it. Okay, I'm done. That's all I have to say, guys. Um, but so to, to kind of wrap things up today, I just want to look at, um, kind of go back on the three things that we've talked about. I think every single person living um, under, under Jesus needs to understand, first of all, your mission. You're not called necessarily to be married. You're called to make disciples. And your, your singleness or your marriage have absolutely no, um, no control over how well you're able to do that. Secondly, you're called to be sexually pure. Yes, this is a command to both single people and married people. But again, single people, we deal with this in a unique way. And I think that, that the only way to do that is to chase after Jesus. It's, it's not a, a list of rules and regulations that you give yourself. It's, it's a full-on pursuit of Jesus, finding that, that craving for intimacy and relationship in him. And then lastly, if you're the type of person that sees yourself pursuing a relationship, just do it the right way. Um, get, get advice from godly people. Be intentional. Be clear. Ultimately, because, and I'll say this again, especially to the guys, um, you don't have a right to play with a girl's heart because Jesus didn't play with your heart. He made it very clear about why he came. He made it very clear about what he has for you. And if marriage and relationships are a picture of Christ in the church, then you should be just as clear as Jesus was about your intentions. So um, to kind of wrap things up today, I, I didn't really know how to wrap things up, but I just want to take a minute. I know um, a lot of us in this, in this room are married. A lot of us may not find ourselves being able to directly apply this stuff anymore. But I have a couple questions I just want to put up on the screen that um, we've, we've done this a couple times before, I think. Do I have the questions at the end? Well, if not, um, first question is, uh, what is God saying to you today? It's, it's a very broad, open-ended question. And then secondly, what do you need to do because of what God's saying to you today? And I would encourage you, this is just a personal encouragement. If, there, if this is something from this message that you need to do, do it before the sun goes down tonight. Don't wait around on it. If you know God's speaking to you about something, um, I'll say this too. I think a lot of times when we talk about relationships, especially to single people that are dating people, it's always like the pastor you can, like, has this subtle, like, you need to break up. Like, if you're in a relationship, you should just break up. And I don't think that's always the case. I think sometimes God speaks to you and says, listen, if you're in a relationship, just pursue her the right way. Or maybe you're not in a relationship, and what God's saying to you this morning is, hey, go find a girl and marry her. I think that could be just as much the case as saying, hey, you need to break up today. Um, but whatever it is, it may not even be, you know, God may have used something I said that's not even related to relationships. But just spend the next couple of minutes. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. I should have done that sooner so there wasn't going to be any awkward silence. But uh, as, as they come, they're just going to play for a couple of minutes before we start singing together. And just take a couple of minutes to really just think about what's God saying to me today? And what am I supposed to do because of that? So I'll pray. Um, and then we'll spend some time there. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the opportunity that you've given, uh, given me to share your word. I pray that... that um, God, right now, even if, if I sounded like a babbling idiot up here, God, that you would somehow speak to someone this morning, that you would use the words from, from your scriptures that have been read, and that you would just speak into someone's life, um, so God, so that they can know you better and so that they can leave here with a more clear understanding of who you've created them to be. God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us how to live. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.